Welcome back to the Surfacing Leaders Podcast, where you can come along with nuclear submarine officer, sought-after turnaround CEO and founder of Lead with Purpose, Mark Kohler, as he tells the stories of leaders in unlikely places and the human spirit that drives us all to show us that anyone can learn to be a leader. And now, here's Mark Kohler. Hala Kalaf is a budding CEO of her fashion and design consulting brand. Her development of design has been cultivated from 15 years of experience in leading a team for Hard Rock International. She specializes in curating memorabilia and designs them into the locations for Hard Rock globally. In the same light, she has developed her handbag line of art into wearable handbags. She credits her cultural background with the ability to envision dynamic interactions in fashion and spatial creation. As a new mom, she looks to embrace her role as a professional while integrating her passion with family life. Hala, welcome to the Servicing Leaders Podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. So let's start off with a little bit of background about where you're from, where you're born, and why don't you bring us to today? All right. So my name is Hala Kalaf. I was born in Kuwait. I'm Palestinian. And in when I was about five years old in 1990, we the Gulf War happened. And as a result of that, our family found work. My dad found work in the States through a family-owned business. He was a microbiologist at the time, and we lost a lot. A lot. It was a company-owned home, and the banks were all closed, if you can imagine. And so we, we left everything and moved to the States where my dad reconnected with family and bought a family-owned business. Now this business goes back in... <laughs> time where my when my family lived in Palestine at the time in 1948 they owned that business as well there right and that business got destroyed and so my family had been displaced at that point moved left their homes same situation and my dad so has had that happen to him twice and so then I grew up in Alpharetta Georgia so I say that I'm a Middle Eastern Georgia peach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so I, I grew up there and then I moved to Orlando, Florida and studied interior design. And at the same time, I got into fashion and I started my own handbag line that's been developing as well as developing my back background in interior design. And I found myself as a full-time employee with Hard Rock International that as a memorabilia designer, curating for restaurants, hotels, casinos, for Hard Rock, using their historical pieces of memorabilia from the 80,000 plus collection. And since then, just this year, I became a mama and <laughs> I changed my full-time role to a now part-time role consulting for for hard rock and then i still you know design these unique handbags that have been developed as well and then also managing managing my life as a mama <laughs> yeah it's great so you've had a lot of changes in your life and i think your backstory of 
your family and how you grew up. I think it's important for later on in the conversation of your ability to handle, you know, disruption, to be able to grit it through and have a lot of resilience. I, I think it's just really, really powerful hearing, you know, going from Palestine to Kuwait, and then Kuwait gets invaded and the disruption that you had and, and you know, leaving everything must be really, really hard. But there's a lot of lessons that you learned, again, in, in resilience and grit. I think it's just super, super powerful. Yeah. So you're at the Art Institute of Atlanta, and then you go down to Orlando, Florida. What is the first opportunity you have to work as a junior designer, basically a designer? You worked in the office furniture. Tell us about that. Yeah. So when I started, you know, when I was studying, I was very eager to get into the field. So I didn't wait till after graduation. I tried to put myself into anything I could possibly do. And so, you know, they encourage internship and I did that. And then I realized they needed a librarian and I started there and grew into a junior designer position with an office furniture company. And so, um, you know, before I graduated in 2007, I, I had a job and I was, I was set. I felt like I was set. And then there was layoffs and I felt relief, which was crazy because I felt like, okay, I've graduated. I, I have the job and now what? And so when, when I got laid off, that relief opened up a door for me that said, you know, I kind of felt like this wasn't for me. And now I, I have the opportunity to, you know, because I guess I wasn't moving. I wasn't going to push myself to create any instability. But then the layoff happened and and that opened up the door for me. So I, I just kept on um, following my heart, as they say, and, you know, putting myself in areas that I love. So from there, I went into... Uh, visual merchandising into a, a retail design firm. And then that grew and I wanted to delve more into the fashion side of things. And I ended up doing visual merchandise management at a high-end denim company. And then from that point, I knew I, I wanted to get back into design. I was like, I can't, I can't live without the sole base of interior design, which is what I studied. But I have to have my fashion brand because it is my outlet to my creativity. So um, I reached out to my peers. I said, I'm, I'm ready for an opportunity. And my friend said, I've been telling you about this position. You really need to look into it. And I looked at the job description. It was everything that I could ever want. Music, design, you know, the amount of creativity that goes into my displays is, I mean, I always try to push the boundaries of design through what I do for hard rock. So um, great examples I of, of projects I've done are in Budapest and Dublin and Maldives and just there's plenty more. And I was able to visit every country and soak that in, which has also fueled my creativity now. So yeah, it's, ama it's amazing. I think it's a great example for those people who are listening. Just roughly, what age were you when you went to the office furniture, you know, design <laughs> opportunity? Because, you know, when I think about it now, I just sort of go like, I know you didn't 
you know, grow up going, oh, I want to be in office furniture design. But what was more important to you, I think, was your passion. And you just want to start using your craft regardless of where it was being used. So just about what what was your age when you were at the office furniture opportunity? I was about 23, 24, around that time frame. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And again, you know, today, Gen Z millennials are trying to find their purpose. And a lot of times they're looking at, you know, online, social media, and other people are going, oh, I found my purpose. I found my purpose. I found my purpose. Mm -hmm. What, what's your, you know, what's some advice you would give someone who's, you know, trying to find their purpose because your path wasn't a straight path, right? Right. Yeah. So, so what's your, what's your advice you'd give someone? I mean, I would say tap into your curiosity, right? And, and, you know, I, I so believe in like dreaming of things that you love and like cultivating all the good feelings of the things you really enjoy. So like, you know, like build a recipe of things that you love in your mind say, I'd really love to do something like that feels like this, that, that maybe looks like that and then gravitate towards it. See how you can apply yourself. Volunteering is what got my foot in the door, you know, giving your time, asking questions, also being patient for the answer. Cause I feel like right now we, we click buttons to get everything and we get it so quick. And so, you know, from my his, history of what my family went through, patience, perseverance, all of that is such a great way to apply yourself to things today. That's great. So one of the stories that you talked about is when you started your handbag business. Mm-hmm. Take us through that of what yeah. actually happened because it just builds on the advice that you just gave. Yeah. So I had no intention to have a handbag line. I, I was working with a fashion designer. And the only reason I worked with her, I loved the the jewelry, she sold costume jewelry. And I would sell it off my neck, like necklaces, people would say, where did you get that? I need to have it. And I'd say, this is the only one I can sell it to you. And so she loved that. And so she's like, do you want to work for me? I I started to work alongside her as I ventured into my design world. And one day she came to me, she's like, you're an artist and you need to put your, your art out there. And there's a silent auction happening to raise money called Power of the Purse. Now you need to make a piece of art that, that looks like a purse. It doesn't have to function as one because I freaked out. I was like, I don't know how to make a purse. <laughs> so... I was like, okay, it can be glued together. Okay, I can I can figure something out. So the whole purpose of my purse and one of the objective objectives was to highlight women of history who made history. So I kept focusing on how I'm gonna use these little frames. I wanted to frame women in these little small frames. And I wanted to figure out how I was gonna hang these frames on a bag. And of course the bag in the middle had a mirror to reflect that the owner makes history too. You as the owner make history too. So I had a dream about a shag rug and the shag rug folded in half like a purse. And then the photo charms hung on the loops of the shag bag. And so 
just for fun, because this is all about the cultivating what you love. I was like, well, I learned my graphic skills at school. Let me just create a business name. If I had one, this is what it would be. And I called it Shag Couture. And I know, and I was, all of this was just having fun, like building your recipe. And so um, all of a sudden a friend wanted one and I said, but they're glued. You don't, and she's like, just make me one. So then my sister wanted one. And let, let me tell you these, they look crazy. They look like a shaggy umbrella or something. <laughs> and so then I went to our drapery a seamstress and, and I said, can you make these without me gluing them and build me the base of the bag? And that way I can take, take it from you and then make these loops. And so that developed and then they were in a fashion show that was aired on a basketball wives, you know, show that was really cool. And then I realized that my target market was, wasn't appealing to a, like a broad amount of people. So I developed them in a way where now they're mainstream, they're cleaner. Each one looks like a piece of art. So I call them art to wear handbags. And the brand has evolved now. It's no longer Chagator. It's my name. <laughs> and just the brand is refined and where I want it to be. And so that's kind of how I got into that and, and how, how it brought me all the way here. Oh, that's a great story. You already touched upon this, but I'd like to go back to it. You were working in a high-end mall and you sold denim. Yeah. And, and when I think about denim, like how many different types of denim can you have? You can have washed out jeans, you can have tight <laughs> jeans, you can have bell bottom jeans, but it's all yeah. denim. So take us through the impact that that had on you and what they were really focused on. Yeah. So at that time when I was trying to focus more on the fashion side of things, that's how I got into it. And I, and my first day with this company, high end denim, I was hired on as a salesperson. And so I, you know, with sales, I just focused on, I was like, let me focus on what I love. And I love putting outfits together. So I went ahead and started building outfits. And, and so then all of a sudden, my manager said, oh my gosh, we don't have a visual merchandiser. And with your background and your talent, would you be interested? I'm like, yeah. So like my first day was converted into a fashion, a visual merchandising manager. And so that was my tenure with them was so essential because they prided, they focused on developing their people. And that's what I loved about it. It wasn't focused on sales. I mean, that came after but their initial approach is developing you as a leader. And so every Monday we would have these learned it, shared it moments. And I really worked well with, with the manager who developed me, Nina. So I thank her a lot for some of my leadership strength. And it came to a point where they wanted to promote me to go travel and teach more different stores and extend their standards and et cetera. But they were honest and said, this is the the most that you could make in this role. And I really had to take a hard look because I never really understood, you know, I had to understand the value, my value. And so I told them I, I wouldn't be able to, to go and I uh, wouldn't be able to move forward. And they were nice and said, okay, well, you can stay on and 
and look for another job and we'll support you. And I said, oh my gosh. So that was amazing. And, and that's when I reached out to, to various friends and I said, I need to find something. I want to find something that's related to design. And, and this job with Hard Rock or opportunity with Hard Rock really relates to everything that I love because it, it combines the fashion aspect with all the historical pieces and the visual merchandising approach and the attention to detail and storytelling. So yeah, that's kind of what brought me there. Yeah, that's great. Thanks for sharing that. When you were reaching out to other people and someone kept saying, Hey, there's this job description you should look at. And, you know, it's at a, it has this little brand called hard rock, right? (laughs) A little one. Yeah. Yeah. The little brand called hard rock. And, you know, when it listed everything that you wanted, what is it that you did? Because you said to me, hey, it was a three-month process. What is it what you did so that you could bring this, you know, into your life? Yeah. So, oh, you know, like I said, when you really dream up what you want, I, I really, I, at the time I was reading The Secret and how you like think about what you want and envision what you want. So I did the interview and I just kept thinking, what more can I provide them? And I asked them in the interview, is there anything that I can do to provide that would increase my chances or, or show you more of an example? And they gave me a, an assignment that I, of what I think the, the role entails. And so I took this assignment and I, did my most wow piece. And on my second interview, I went in and showed those and they, they really loved them. And it was right on, on point with what they needed. And it was a three month process and it was the most excruciating because every day I would think about this role. And so I started imagining everything that I could, I would take the business cards they gave me and I would imagine my name with the the same layout you know, I, I, I told people like certain people, I would do certain things if, if I got the position. And so like, for example, I, I borrowed gum from our backstop guy at the time. And I said, when, when I finally put in my two weeks, you're going to get a pack of gum. He's like, are you quitting? I'm like, no, no, I'm just telling you, I'm, I'm telling you. So now I'm putting it out there and I bought the pack of gum and I wrapped it up and every day I would walk out. I would stare at that pack and I'm like, I'm going to give this to that, that guy. Yeah. And every time I would drive, I'd pass the exit that I would have to take to get to the new job. And I would look at that exit sign and say, I'm going to be taking you soon. So, so I would put all these things out there. Oh, I, okay. One extreme thing is that there was this documentary about placing words on your water bottle and that you would become the water bottle. Well, I mean, you would become, you would become what you put on the water bottle. So happiness, love, all that. And so I wrote my name and the design, a memorabilia designer, the title. And I drank out of that water bottle for the three months. And I finally, you know, and I finally got called to, I got called. I was selected out of the three top candidates. And and that third final call was just a personality type exam. And then they offered me a job. And, it, and then for the past nine years, I've 
traveled the world and just done things, extraordinary things with, with it. Oh, such a great story. Yeah. Such a great story. You know, you're drinking from a bottle of water, but you're drinking <laughs> from a, a bottle of a combination of passion and yeah. curiosity and grit. Mm-hmm. And that's such a, you know, a powerful bottle for all of us to drink from. So, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So thank you for sharing that. All right. So you get the hard rock. Mm-hmm. Talk to us about the entire job. Talk to us about what you were responsible for. And uh, let's have a conversation on that. Okay. So we, you know, we work with architects and designers and project managers. So there are, and in various parts of the world, so different languages, different cultures, and you just kind of like the way that you put your passion into everything, you put it into each prop or we put it into each project. So a lot of research happens. We get drawings from architects and we study those to figure out where the key moments of memorabilia are and ensuring that the brand standards align. And then these architects and designers, we have to teach them how to, how we implement the brand and with our experience and that this isn't like any typical restaurant because it's kind of restaurant with museum so everything or a hotel and museum like is incorporated together so a lot of it's very new to designers and architects that are just used to like you know the bathroom goes here the the reception lobby is here and so it's just another added layer and so that happens we we select we we locate the areas and then we cultivate a wish list which is a recommendation that we take into account when we make our selections. We do a lot of research from the demographic study of travelers that go into that city so that we're catering to them, as well as catering to any local historical moments that happened in the country, like in Budapest, the importance of having Freddie Mercury because he was a very iconic musician to them. And so, you know, if you go to the Budapest Hotel, you'll see, I I promise them, because we're only limited to what we have. And all of our Freddie Mercury pieces at the time of selection were were pretty done. And I I said, I'll do everything I can to find something in our archive. I found a card, a birthday card he had signed. So I said, how am I going to make this? How can I pay homage to the, the artist? And then also the country. And so what I did was I had a talented artist, uh, Jay Bonadio, who does this broken glass. And I had him do this graphic with his broken glass. And I framed it with a birthday card. And it's like this huge piece. And then there's lyrics to the Hungarian. Oh, the there's a, a song, a national song they sing that that Freddie Mercury sang. So we, we framed that with the birthday card. And so it really like, you know, I say we're in the business of honoring legends and that's a great example. So with all that, we, we make our selections and then we work with fabricators to create the frames for the pieces, which are then shipped. We have to work with logistics and all this commercial invoice and all that. And then once the crate arrives, that's when when we understand when it's cleared customs, we fly out, our team flies out because 
we are the only people that are handling the, the memorabilia. So we fly out, we uncreate it, we inventory, and then we start our installation process with hanging the pieces where they go. And like any designer would understand, there's always variances from drawings than on site. So there's always changes. And so as a designer, you have to be kind of quick on your feet to make the decision like, oh my gosh, we lost 12 inches from the ceiling. We're going to have to change this, add that, move that. And then everything is changed from, you know, you've been preparing for about a year and then, and then it changes. So yeah, once it's installed, it's, it's photographed and, and then ready for people to enjoy it. And the collection is constantly rotating. So we try, we try to aim for five years, but depending on the location and um, so, yeah, that's kind of how the process of that unfolds. <laughs> what I thought was fascinating was, I believe you said the memorabilia collection started in 1971. How did that start? Well, actually, the Hard Rock started in 1971 and it was, it was owned by Peter and Isaac, and one of them owned a Rolls-Royce building in London, and it was for his mom. And so when the two teamed up and decided they wanted to create a American-type burger place in London where it seats everyone equally, <clears throat> they he said, I have this building, let's, let's just turn it, this place into... And so that evolved... <clears throat> And then it wasn't until maybe about seven years later when Eric Clapton decided he wanted to claim his seat. So he signed a guitar, put it on the wall and said, you know, this is like, you know, this is my my spot. And then Pete Townsend from The Who came in and he's like, mine's as good as his. And he put his guitar up because he sat in that same seat. So then the memorabilia collection started and that was like 1978. And it was all over and it wasn't encased. And it was just, if you remember, if you've ever been just stack and pack, we call type. And so, yeah, the, there was a line out the door to get into the hard rock. You'd have to know someone to try to get in sooner because like you could be sitting next to the Beatles. So. <laughs> I think that's great. And it, you said it's grown to over 80,000 pieces right now. Is that correct? Mm hmm Yes, that's correct. Yeah. And then just some of the complexity, you know, because I, I walk into a Hard Rock Cafe and I am able to have a fantastic experience because I just think, hey, it just showed up there. <laughs> and there's so much design and thought that has to really happen. You have over 200 cafes. You got the hotels, casinos, mm -hmm. you know, all of these different entities and properties and what was also fascinating for me was a lot of these are franchises. Mm -hmm. So you have to coordinate all of these different things, meet the needs of the city, pay homage. Right. Um, how many people, because this is a worldwide organization and effort, how many people are involved in, in making that all happen? So our department strictly, I would say we're about 15 people. Just our memorabilia department alone. We're under the design construction department, but that's much, much bigger. But our little team that manages the memorabilia and everything, the database, 
the admins. Our our little design team is five people, (laughs) five or six of us. And so, yeah, we have, we can have multiple projects going on at different paces and we really work together to make it happen. We collaborate, we brainstorm, we're always helping each other out. So, so let's talk about leadership. Now we understand the, the scope of what you're doing. You have six people doing it for all of these properties and it's very intentional and you have to get the franchise to say, hey, I, 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 I'm, I'm in line with that. Give architect. Mm-hmm. How, how do you manage that? How, how does the team leadership wise handle the, the complexity of the situation and, uh, and make it work? Well, weekly meetings are essential because <laughs> they offer a, an outlet for communication. And, you know, we have multiple types of meetings. We'll have meetings with our design and construction team, with just our memorabilia team alone. And then, you know, organize, organization of it in spreadsheets. And um, I mean, it's, it's, I say it's kind of good to have ADHD when you're handling these because you're bouncing around from different, <laughs> different project to different projects. And it's fun and it's stimulating enough for you to keep on track with everything. And to not overwhelm ourselves, we just focus on the projects we have. So each designer focuses on what what they have at hand, and then we work together. So I would like you to talk about, you know, we talk about ABC employees, mm-hmm. top level employees, right? And then you have B level employees who we say with 18 months of training can get there. And then you have C level employees who shouldn't be part of the team. Mm. How many C-level employees do you have on your team? Like, I want to say we're all A players because we are all managing it. I mean, we're holding up this whole world together by working together, communicating effectively, creating better processes. And when situations arise, we say, okay, I think we need a better process. Let's develop one. Um, So... Yeah. And then our standards, I am, you know, very passionate about the brand and setting the new standards in place too, and, and updating those constantly as well. During your time since 2013, being at Hard Rock, not to name any names, but (laughs) did you, did you have C players and what happened, what happened to them? Oh, yeah, we definitely had C players. And when you do, you end up, we end up in a situation where, you know, like there's a hole in the ship and the water is coming in. And and now you can't, you can't turn away and do whatever it is on your ship. You have to go in, everyone has to go in and help plug this hole in to hold up the ship. And so it's a very abundant. Um, obvious when someone is not a good fit it's and because we're such a small team it it shows right away so i I think that's just really important for as people are listening that's the power of purpose and passion which you have and others have because there's going to be disruptions that happen and when everyone has the same purpose everyone's connected to the same shared passion um, it makes it a lot easier when people aren't in a smaller team, it can be such a drag on a team. 
And so it's really important that, you know, we take action because the person who's there and is a C player, maybe not passionate about what they're doing, maybe not in the right seat. You know, my goodness, we want them to live the best version of themselves. And it's not with our companies. It should be with someone else. And, and I think we're doing people a favor by, you know, having those people who aren't performing, hey, find a place where you really, really love what you're doing. Yeah. And I did want to just add that when you are in the heat of the moment with a C player, you will feel like you're taking on way more than you typically used to and you're inundated and you're overwhelmed and you feel like you can't handle it. And maybe there's a little bit of burnout, but just know that it doesn't last because eventually C players, they won't, they won't be able to stand it. And so either, you know, one thing will happen, but it'll eventually break. And hopefully you'll, you'll then be able to pull through with someone else. And you, you definitely see the difference when you hire on an AB player, because you're able to handle everything that you're carrying and they're able to handle everything. And then, you know, you're holding it all up together. So you talked about some things where you had some like iconic pieces <laughs> yeah, that were specifically placed in certain cafes or hotels and mm -hmm. either the franchisee didn't know what it was or the person who was visiting didn't know what it was. And oh. share, with us some, share with us some of those stories of what happened to these iconic pieces. Yeah. So before, um, you know, before memorabilia was encased, it was exposed. So we would have guitars with signatures on them that cleaning crew came in and decided oh no someone someone wrote all over this guitar let's wipe it clean and they erase history and so another instance is the the pink floyd signed uh there we, we have a piece of the berlin wall i believe and it's outside of the orlando cafe and it had all this graffiti on it because that's what that looked like at the time well, someone decided that that they thought it was from someone recent, and they they pressure washed it clean, and 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 erased history. And so, uh, in in a situation like that, because we pride ourselves in authenticity, we then lose that piece because we can no longer say this was signed by so and so. So, you know, that's kind of how how our pieces are built that we lose pieces sometimes over time with you with lighting and fading. And so that's why we're always, when we issue out our standards to architects and designers, we're really, you know, hard on them sometimes about that. This is a museum. It's not just a restaurant or, or a hotel or a casino. So yeah, I have this. I have this vision of someone who thinks they're doing like a great service by removing the graffiti. Yeah, I could see them out there pressure washing, and I could I imagine <laughs> you being twenty yards away, going like, "Stop!" <laughs> Just oh my stop. gosh, I might. I I think it might have happened overnight because I don't know. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, talk to us about you know 2014. You started working at Hard Rock, and there was a certain um, design that was appealing. Has that changed? Right. So 
when I started, we were just evolving into a more simple approach to design. So, you know, like I said before, we used to stack and pack memorabilia, used to be exposed on the walls. And now it's a very like modernized version. We build cases around, millwork cases around each piece. Some pieces are framed and it's done in a more simple manner where you can really read information on each piece in a museum-like manner. So, Do you think that, you know, follows what, you know, society and culture really want? You know, you said it was stack and pack. So it'd be like, mm-hmm. probably like, oh, wow, this is neat. 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 And then it's like, hey, mm-hmm. there's too much stuff here. And yeah. Do, do you think it's uh, following what culturally wants, which is this shift towards simplicity? Yeah, I think that, you know, you know, as design evolves, we have to like continually learn and, and teach ourselves new ways, new approaches. I'm constantly researching and saving new concepts where when I look at the concept, I can quickly plug the brand into this concept and I save it for a placeholder for, you know, an upcoming project that maybe I could potentially use it in. So I feel like, you know, we are constantly having to evolve in, in design. And then, you know, we do hear what we do um, ask for feedback and what guests really love. So we take that into consideration as well. So we try to combine it with your research, your studies, your inspiration, what's evolving, and then what's desired from our guests. What makes a great leader today from your perspective? A great leader is someone I feel like who um, can wear everybody's hat. I feel like a great leader is someone who isn't, isn't egotistically driven. And someone who can really listen to everyone and level with them, you know, and they're not afraid to do the work. You know, they wouldn't ask someone to do the work that they wouldn't do. And a great leader guides with his heart and with his knowledge and is humble, but not too humble. So, and they're smart not too smart and they're hungry, but not too hungry, not less than hungry. They're like a little bit of all. I, I, I pull those from the book. I forget ideal team player, which is one of my favorites that I happened to read in a book club that happened one time. And that was like fate because that was the only book I needed. I felt like that. I, I carry it with how I, you know, when we interview new candidates and I apply all those. And I feel like even our team now, it, they have all those key, tra- like most of those key traits. So, yeah, humble, anyways, I trailed humble, off. Hungry. Hungry and smart. smart. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Lo- love that. Love that. <laughs> How important is it to to learn today? Oh, as important as it always is. I mean you know, being a new mom and seeing my daughter and how she's grown in just the 10 months and how she's constantly learning, how she's soaking in every word and sound and how we move our mouths. And she today, 
long distance crawled for the first time, (laughs) you know? So like she got from the living room all the way to the kitchen. I'm like, Oh my gosh. So, I mean, if babies are constantly learning, we're, we should also be constantly learning and growing. My therapist told me once, if you're not growing, then you're, we're dying. So you can be living and feel like you're dying inside because you're not growing and you're not challenging yourself. Your, your work has to be challenging. And the cool thing is, is I found that in hard rock for, I, I mean, nine years that even though it's the same thing, it's challenged me and every project I learned something. And even the people I train now, I tell them, I, I, I will tell you that I don't know everything and that we're, it's, I'm constantly growing. So you're going to teach me things too. So. Oh, such a great approach. And I would share with you, what is your daughter's name? Senna. Pardon me? Senna. Senna. It's exciting that Senna long distance crawled. It it should scare (laughs) the heck out of you too. Because now you got to make sure. (laughs) Everything is bolted down. Yeah. Yeah. And they, What Heidi and I did was they said to, to go down on the ground and go around and see whether you can see things that they might get into. <laughs> oh, that's a good idea. Oh, my gosh. See, I'm constantly learning. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's great. I, I think you're a great representation for, for women. I think there's a lot of pressure, especially on your generation to really quote unquote have it all like i grew up my mom stayed at home that's just what what happened yeah my mom and and she was she was in a position where they ran a hairdressing shop off the end of our house Mm -hmm. so it was this great mix of her being able to work but then be able to facilitate you know raising a family but today it's there's there's a lot of challenges and and so talk us through some of the pressures that you have on a daily basis and what's your approach and mindset approach and mindset to yeah so 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 like here's what I see from the outside I see that you're and and I know Cody mm-hmm. so you've been quote unquote recently married right? Yeah. Three years ago, I I believe it was. Mm -hmm. You were in a fantastic position at Hard Rock. Then you have your daughter. Right. And you have your handbag business. So you have all these things that you're trying to juggle. And what a lot of people do, Hala, is they say, to be good in one thing, I got to give up this other thing. Like, I got to give it up. Right. And you found a way to be able to say, Hey, I'm not going to give it up. I'm going to continue to juggle these things. And so right. your mindset as a, cause I don't understand it. Your mindset from a woman's perspective, what's your mindset every single day to go like, Hey, I would still want to push these forward. Not, Hey, I'm going to put the handbag business on the back burner for eight right. years. And then I'm going to come back to it. What, yeah. what is it that you're doing? Yeah. So I I say that now more than ever, I've always known the time is precious, but now you can really feel it (laughs) because every moment I have my main priority is my daughter. My second one is my 
my job, my career. And so the third one, which is now I'm juggling to find time or struggling to find time with for my handbag line. So really it's any ounce of time I can get. So, you know, ideally waking up at five o'clock in the morning, that would add on so much time towards my, you know, developing my, my fashion brand. Now, do I do it every day? No, because I'm human. I need rest and I do what I can with it. And I feel like as long as you're putting some time towards it, that's the key, right? So, and I think that more time will open up as my daughter grows, but it's, it's so fun to see because she's newborn, but I'm newborn as well, because now I'm open. I've been birthed into this new role as mom, as the CEO, and finding this time and figuring out (laughs) what to make for dinner. And you know, what's really helped me that I, that a new thing that I developed is I print out these calendars, just a standard paper. It's like a Canva template of a, of a calendar. And then I plug in, I, I, have a high regard for balancing my hormones and working with Dr. Alyssa Vitti, not herself, but her books have taught me on hormone balancing. And so I, I, I write, write down in my calendar, everything we're having for dinner. And I, I eat around my, my cycle. And so, and I work, I try to work around my cycle and I try to socialize around it. And so it's really helped me develop um, a plan. And so every, I, I, I plan at the end of my cycle uh, towards like almost when it's going to restart. That's when my planning phase is. And that's when she encourages it as, as well. And so I try to track everything like that. And it helps me with my workouts. It helps me figure out what my groceries list is and then I look at it day by day and that helps me figure out exactly what I need that day. And so that's really helped me keep sane in a time where uh, everything is just spiraling into it could be chaotic. Cause if I don't do that, we end up Uber eating all week. So, <laughs> or going out for dinner and we gain weight and we eat bad and, and so that cycle could take over and derail us. So this helps. And then every month I figure out what, if there's certain things that need to be organized, there's a weekend I dedicate just to organizing. And so this whole year has been about the house. And next year is a digital focus, you know, to clean out my phone contacts, get rid of a whole bunch of pictures and get rid of files that I no longer use. Cause we kind of forget about all of the storage we use and emails that you don't no longer use. I want to tackle all that next year. So it's on my radar, but that's kind of how I, I track everything. So you're really taking an intentional design on what your next month is going to look like. And like you right. said, if, if Cody's cooking, like when I was cooking, it was like, hey, do you want the number three supersized as I go through the drive-thru? Right? We don't, Cody's we don't cooking is uh, Papa Pizza in the oven, is that <laughs> his approach? Yeah, it's exa- exactly. I think what's also important that I heard you say is the ability to give yourself grace and the right. ability to prioritize. Can you talk about that? 
Yeah. So we're human beings and there's going to be times that you're not going to be able to pull through what you intended, but you, you know, you apply your best every day and your best can vary, right? So like from Don Miguel Ruiz's book, The Four Agreements, you know, you just do your best. And when you're sick as a dog, your best is getting up and getting medicine and and laying back down and getting rest. But when you're on top of your game, your best might be climbing to the hilltop, you know, so. (laughs) That's great. Yeah. What's your vision for the next five years? No, oh, that for, question. For Hala. <laughs> well, the vision for the next five years. I really want to get to a place with my handbags where I have produced enough stock that I have kind of a variety of collect. Well, the collections really, I want to develop them in a way where they're in an organized manner because right now my creativity is taking the lead. And I have got multiple types of a variety of handbags in like the four or five collections I have. But I do want to launch like a bridal collection one year and then an all black series and just really try to organize my creativity and hope that I'm in more pop-ups and more boutiques and really known for my, for, you know, my brand and my vision you know, mass production is, does not align with my values. If you want a handbag that, you know, is produced by, you know, machine made, that's, that's easily, you, you know, you can get that anywhere. But a bag that tells a story, being able to wear history, that's, these are the things that drive me. And even I have a bag that's my top selling bag. It's called the reveal clutch because it reveals the inner fabric and the way that it's designed, you can slip your hand through the front of it. And it has like a easy to carry kind of, it's pretty much a wow factor. When I show people what it does, they always gasp. And so, you know, really highlighting that. And now with, with everything that's happening globally, especially in Palestine, my mom and I have decided to collaborate on a bag. My mom Every day she sits there and embroiders and she does Palestinian patterns. I have one right here, but basically it's just a lot of detail work. I mean, talk about patience and perseverance. Palestinians would do this because they didn't have machinery that provided color. So this was the way that they would implement color and pattern into their clothing. I mean, if you can tell these small squares, my mom sits there with these magnifying glasses and she just, and she'll listen to her soap operas or her Quran or anything. And and so I told her, let's collaborate on a simple bag that I can sew because uh, right now all my bag designs go to a seamstress and she does the work. And so in an effort to maybe sharpen my um, sewing skills and um, it, And then do a collab bag with my mom, which can be like the best thing ever. I'm going to produce a series of these to raise money for the PCRF, Palestinian Children Relief, I believe. And and so that's kind of my go-to right now. So (laughs) 
yeah, it's it it can go really far. And then I I still see myself, you know, leading with with hard rock and everything and delving myself in into that realm as well. It's awesome. That's great. So I always end with this question every single podcast. Okay. For those people who are listening right now, what's one thing they can do to surface the leader inside of themselves? <laughs> um, well, so we're all made different, differently, right? We all have these different features and, um, and so, but we can all listen to our inner, our inner, our inner being and have, have yourself guide you through it. Um, and just applying yourself in ways that you think it's suitable for you. What could work for me might not work for you. You know, the books that I read might not hit you the right way. So you have to find that, that for yourself and what strikes the chord for you. I really think that listening to yourself, you know, and also not being so internal, if you are internal, to speak out. And then if you're more extroverted, external thinker, then to kind of listen, sit back and listen, let someone else do the talking and hear about someone else's show, then you, you promoting, you know, all the raving things that you've done. And kind of that creates the challenge, right? That we all need to grow. So, you know, challenging, being curious, like a Brene Brown says. So, yeah. That's that's great advice. If people are looking for more information on your Hala yes. business, where would they go? Halakaloff.com. That would that's be awesome. and we'll include the link. In, yeah, in, please yeah. do. Thank yeah. you. Absolutely. So Hala, the conversation today for me, I, I learned a lot. You know, you're a great example um, of a leader who is impactful today. This combination of passion, uh, curiosity, grit, you know, drinking from that bottle every single day, I think is super important. One of the other things you said that really stuck with me is you have a newborn, but every single day you're newborn. And I think that's so important for us all to learn the different areas of our life as life presents all these different challenges. You have to be able to be open to continuing to learn. So thanks for being just a great example of a leader, all the things you're juggling. You should be really, really proud of yourself. I'm excited to, you know, be affiliated with you and I'm I'm excited about your next five years and 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 go holla. Oh, thank you so much. I'm very happy that I got the opportunity to be here. And honestly, it, it took your courage for me to have my courage because you put this together for all of us. And so thank you for being courageous enough to do it. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining Mark today. And remember, new episodes of Surfacing Leaders will be available every other week where you can become inspired, gain confidence, and learn leadership right where you are. Until next time, make it a great day.